It's a time of political unrest. It's a time of spiritual decay. It's a time of pain. It's a time of division. It's a time of disunity and discord. It's a time of heartache. Sin at an all-time high. No one seeks after God. No one seeks the things of God. They only seek the things of this world. Very, very little joy in people's lives. Very little joy. Every day is just as painful as the day before. Every day is filled with hurt and pain. Sound familiar? You may think, well, yeah, it sounds like our world today. In actuality, I'm talking about 2,500 years ago. I'm talking about the nation of Israel. I'm talking about the nation that was divided. I'm talking about a nation that had disunity and pain and heartache. Judah, the nation of Judah was a, very, a place of very little joy when Isaiah prophesied. You see, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians, God raised up the Assyrians, and they attacked the northern kingdom of Israel. Under Solomon's sons, the nation of Israel had to been divided into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And this nation was divided. The Assyrians came in in 722, and they attacked the northern kingdom, and they carried off the people into exile and bondage. Then they attacked the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom of Judah was able to withstand the attack of the Assyrians. But they were devastated. There was death. There was pain. There was hurt. Nothing was the same. There was very little reason for joy. It was a joyless time. Israel. Why did this happen? Because Israel had turned away from God time and time again. So God raised up the Assyrians, God raised up the Assyrians to bring punishment on his people. A couple hundred years later in 586 BC, the Babylonians would rise up and they rose up and they attacked the southern kingdom of Judah and carried off the people into exile. But that was after Isaiah's prophecy and today we're going to talk about the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was writing to people in Judah in the 7th and 8th centuries before the birth of Christ. And he wrote to two groups. He was writing to those who were, um, who were still alive at the time of his writing. People who were living joyless lives. People whose lives were devastated. He was writing encouragement to them. But he was also writing to the people of the future. After 586 BC, after the Babylonians came in and attacked, he was writing to those people as well a message of deliverance. So to people living in his day, he wrote encouragement and hope. To people coming after him, he was writing about deliverance, that God would eventually deliver his people from the Babylonians and from their captivity. It's Christmas, 2013. We're starting a brand new series today called Repeat the Sounding Joy. And we're talking about joy this Christmas. I look around and I see nothing but misery. I don't know about you, but I look around and I see people in pain and people who are hurting 
and people who are miserable. We live in a world of very little joy. And people, I think they desperately need to feel the joy of Christmas this year. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the joy of Christmas. And how we can have joy in our lives because of Christmas and what that means. So I'm very excited about this new series starting today, Repeat the Sounding Joy. As we talk about the joy surrounding the birth of Jesus, we're going to talk about joy today in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, and the prophecy about the coming Messiah. Next week, we're going to talk about joy, and we're going to talk about joy in John the Baptist, the joy surrounding John the Baptist's birth. The week after that, we're going to talk about the angels and the joy that they proclaim to the shepherds. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about joy in our lives as well. So those are, that's where we're going. We have several opportunities to worship here over the next couple of weeks for Christmas, including Christmas Eve. And I want to invite you to come to our Christmas Eve service, December 24th, which is Christmas Eve. Very good. Everybody's still paying attention. Nice. Um, but Christmas Eve uh, at 6 o'clock p.m. will be our Christmas Eve service. And that goes about 45 minutes uh, on Christmas Eve. So we want you to come and invite your friends, invite some people to come join us with, at Christmas this year. Um, but today uh, we're going to talk about Isaiah. We're going to talk about the book of Isaiah. So if you have your Bible uh, or if you can locate one, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning as we talk about having an increase of joy in our lives. Like I said, I believe that so many people are in desperate need of joy. They have lost the joy of Christmas. Either they have forgotten what Christmas is all about or they just ignore what it is all about. And this is not just unbelievers. It's Christians too. I see, I see my brothers and sisters in Christ and again, they look miserable as well. And I don't know if it's just that we've gotten so caught up in everything that, that the holiday doesn't represent what the holiday really isn't all about, but we've gotten caught up in it and it's kind of just pulled the joy out of us, but we need to get the joy. We need to get back to what Christmas is all about. We don't need to get caught up in the hustle and the bustle of the Christmas season. We don't need to get caught up in the gifts and the giving and the materialism and the consumerism. Rather, we need to be focused on the baby laying in the manger of Bethlehem. That is what we need to focus on if we want to have the joy of Christmas. So pull out your Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Grab your bulletin and turn to the third page for the handy-dandy outline. And we're going to fill in some blanks. We're actually going to fill in two blanks here as we start. Two blanks, the first two blanks. The first blank on your outline is joy comes from the light. Joy comes from the light. And then the second blank is from darkness to sight. Let's see what that is all about. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, the first part of, of verse 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Like I said, joy comes from the light. And joy moves us from darkness to sight. Real joy comes from the light because it moves us from darkness to light. You know, when we're little kids, just little ones, we don't like sleeping alone and we don't like falling asleep because we're scared of the 
Scared of the dark. And there is something scary about the dark. We don't like the darkness, even as we get older. We Sometimes we don't like to drive at night because it's dark, right? I'm not a big fan of going out after dark. You know, I'm, I, I don't like it. The dark is kind of scary. You know, think about a, uh, a power outage. You know, what happens when the lights go out? In the middle of the night, even. When the lights go out and it's completely dark in your house, do you know how I know when the lights, when the power outage, when there's a power outage at night? My fan stops working. Yeah. I'll be laying in bed. My kid could be screaming across the room, across the house from me. I, I sleep right through it. That fan goes off and I'm up like this. What happened? What happened to my fan? Why is it my fan? I sleep with a fan 365 days a year. Every single night. It could be 15 below outside. We lived in Minnesota. It was 20 below at night. Still got the fan blowing on me, right? Every single night I got that fan blowing on me. I teased my wife the other night. She's not a big fan of the fan. I teased her the other night. I said, I think I'm going to sleep without the fan. It was a little cold. I said, I think I'm going to sleep without the fan tonight. She's like, really? I said, no. <laughs> no, I'm still going to sleep with it. Come on. I got to keep her on her toes every once in a while. But, um, but yeah, I, I just... That fan goes off, and I know there's a power outage, and I jump out of bed, and it's like, what happened? Is there a storm? Is there a tornado? What's going on? An ice storm? Why have we lost power? And I know it's because the fan went off. And, and as, when I, as I get my wits about me, I realize it is completely dark in my house. Even the little LED light on my DVR in my bedroom is turned off, and so therefore I cannot see, because when that thing is on, I can see everything. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. That little light on the DVR is on, and it's blinding at night, but... When that light is off and there's no light in my room and I can't locate a flashlight and it is just dark in my room and I can't see, it's kind of scary. What happened? Why are the lights off? Why is it so dark? Why am I whispering? Because we do that in the dark. And the dark is scary. There's something scary about the dark. But what do we see here? We see that when the light comes, we can move from darkness to light. And there is something reassuring about the light, isn't there? That when you come out of the darkness, initially, like when the lights come on first thing in the morning, it's, you know, but eventually your eyes get used to it. And the light is so much better than the darkness. The light brings relief when it comes back on after a power outage. I mean, you can see. And seeing is a wonderful thing, right? Absolutely. The next blank on your outline is from shadow to dawn. From shadow to dawn. I think about, when I hear the, a phrase, the shadow of death, I think about Psalm 23. I think about David writing about how the Lord was his shepherd and how God would lead him through the very valley of the shadow of death. He says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and what does he say about the shadow of death? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That God is with us, even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in a place where we, it feels like we're surrounded by death. David was surrounded by enemies, and his enemies were always seeking to kill him, to take his life. He was surrounded constantly by death. He felt like he was always walking in the shadow of death. Yet he would not be afraid. He would not fear for God was with him. Look at Isaiah 9, 2. The second half of the verse, of verse 2. 
It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. A light has dawned. Everywhere the people went, they were reminded of death and devastation. There was death and devastation everywhere, from the northern kingdom conquered by the Assyrians to even the disunity in their own uh, nation. They, they saw the death of a nation. They saw the death of their relatives. They saw the death of their dreams. They were surrounded by death. Yet what happens when the light comes? The light brings not the shadow, but the light brings the dawn. From the shadows of twilight that foreshadow the night to the dawn that brings morning. They move from the shadow to the light, from the night to the morning, from darkness to dawn. God brings us out of the shadow of death and he brings us into the light of life. We emerge from the night. We emerge from the shadow. And we have light. The next blank on your outline is from oppression to freedom. From oppression to freedom. Look at verses 3 through 5. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. See all that joy in there? comes from the light. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. They move from oppression to freedom when the light comes. Isaiah calls to mind the judge Gideon from the book of Judges. Uh, if you get my daily email, I send out a daily devotional, quasi-daily, mostly daily, uh, email that I send out. This week I was writing about the book of Judges, and I was writing about the, the judge Gideon and how Gideon defeated the Midianites. It's a great story of faith and fear, a great story of how God takes care of his people, a great story about how God wins the battle, how God gives victory. In the story of Gideon, Gideon has a, uh, an inferiority complex. An angel appears to Gideon and says, Greetings, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, I have no idea what you're talking about, because I am not a mighty warrior. In fact, I am, the, I am from the least tribe of Israel. I am the lowest in my family. And I am the weakest in my family. And we are in the weakest family of the weakest clan of the weakest tribe. We're a bunch of weaklings. We're a bunch of 98-pound weaklings and bullies are kicking sand in our face at the beach. So Gideon is completely afraid. He's terrified. And yet this angel shows up and says, Greetings, mighty warrior. You talking to me? There's somebody else here? I don't see any mighty warriors. No, Gideon, it's you. So God calls Gideon to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon's not sure what God wants him to do. He's not really sure if it's God speaking to him. So he's going to set out a fleece. He puts the fleece out, and he sets it out twice. And if it's dry one day and wet the next, then he knows it's God. And if he sets it out again, if it's wet and then dry, he knows that it's God speaking to him. And so what Gideon does is he puts God to the test, and God doesn't strike him down with lightning, but rather God calls him into service. So Gideon goes into God's service, and he's got this great big army. He's got this huge army with which to attack the Midianites. The Midianites... The Bible says their camels were as thick as locusts and the Midianites were as, their army was as numbered like the sand on the seashore. 
So the, they, there's all kinds of soldiers, all kinds of camels. It's a great big army. And so what do they do? God says, Gideon, you've got an army. You've got tens of thousands of soldiers, and that's too many. What are you talking about, God? I, the Midianites are huge. I've got too many soldiers? No, it can't be right. I want you to tell them, anybody who's afraid, anybody who's afraid can go home. So Gideon says, anybody who's afraid, go home. 12,000 chickens, go home. Where are they going? That's half our army just left. So there's about 10,000 left over or so. God says, Gideon, you got too many. What? What are you talking? Too many? Half the army just left. God says, Gideon, why don't you go down to the water? Why don't you go down to the river? And anybody who bends over and puts their face in the water and drinks, I want you to send them home. And anybody who puts their hands in the water and cups their water up to their mouth and drinks it out of their hands, they can stay. 300. 300 didn't go home. 300 stayed. So you have this huge, ginormous army of Midianites with lots of camels and and they're powerful and they're big and they're strong. They've been oppressing the Israelites for, for decades. And now you've got Gideon and 300 guys. And do you know what God did? God defeated the Midianites using Gideon and 300 soldiers. This huge army, they chased them down and killed every single last one of them. They were able to be released from the oppression. They were given freedom from the oppression that came by Midian. Because of Gideon's faith and God's power. And that was a reason for rejoicing. This is what Gideon, that Isaiah calls to mind. This freedom from oppression that comes because of the light. When the light comes into our lives, it frees us from oppression. They will rejoice, Isaiah says, as farmers rejoice at the harvest. They rejoice as people set free from the oppression because of the light that comes. So who is this light? Well, the light is the child. The next blank on your outline says joy comes from the child. Joy comes from the child. And the next blank is the child is the son of God. The child is the son of God. Look at Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. To us this promised child is going to be just that, a child. There is a, a Messiah who's going to come, and he will come as a child. But not any child. He's a special child, a very special child, a special son. And this son is given to us. And this son is the son of God. No, not just any son, not just any child, but the son of God is the child who will come. He is special. He is unique. This son is given to us. This child is born for us. The next blank on your outline is this child is the ruler of governments. The child is the ruler of governments. Isaiah 9, 6. And the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. Um, we see here that this child is going to be the king of kings and the Lord 
of lords. The government will be on his shoulders. In other words, he will rule over everyone. He will rule all the nations. He will rule all the governments. That this child will be the ruler of all people. Everything will be on his shoulders. He will rule everyone and everything. The next blank is the child is the one true God. There are four names given to this child in Isaiah 9, 6. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are not ordinary names. These are the names of God. He is the wonderful counselor, meaning that people will listen to him as God. People will listen to him and seek his counsel. He is the wonderful counselor, not just any counselor, a wonderful counselor, a good counselor, a kind counselor. He is the, uh, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, meaning that he is, he's not just God, he's mighty God. He can do anything. There is nothing of which he is incapable. He is capable of doing all things. And you think about uh, miracles that Jesus did. No one else could do those things. Walking on water, healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the masses, turning water into wine. The miracles proving that he is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. His rule will never end. It is an everlasting rule. And he does not rule like an iron-fisted dictator, but rather he rules as a loving father. He is the loving Father who rules over all people. And His rule will never end. His reign will never end. He is the everlasting Father. And He is the Prince of Peace. He is the only one who can bring peace to the nations. It is not a president. It is not a prime minister. It is not a, uh, a dictator. It is not a, a, a czar. Only Jesus, only this child can bring peace to the nations. The next blank on your outline is the child is the eternal king. The child is the eternal king. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He will rule forever on David's throne and his rule will never end. It will never end, and he will rule. Like I said, he will rule all people forever and ever and ever. It is an everlasting kingdom. It is an eternal kingdom, and he is the eternal king of kings. Finally, the last blank on your outline is the child is the promised one. The last part of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the promise of God that the child will come. The promise of God that the child will rule. The promise of the child that he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. The promised child is the Messiah. The promised light is the Messiah. How do I know this? If you flip over to the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. We read this. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness 
have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Who is this child? Who is this light? Who is this Messiah? He is Jesus. Jesus is the child. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who can bring joy into our lives at Christmas. Are you walking in darkness? Jesus brings light. Are you walking in the shadow of death? Jesus is the one who brings life. Jesus is the one who frees us from oppression, oppression of sin, oppression of of heartache, oppression of bitterness. Jesus is the one who sets us free. Are you lost? Jesus is the one who searches for us and he finds us and he saves us and he forgives us and he can give us real joy. Even in a time of real joylessness, Jesus can make us joyful. You know, like I said earlier, Christmas for so many has lost its joy. We've lost the joy of Christmas. We've lost what it's really all about. And I think what we need to do is we need to recapture the joy of Christmas. But that cannot happen until we recapture Jesus. Until we rediscover Jesus and what He can do and what He has done and how He can change our lives and how He can sanctify us and change us and make us more like Himself. It is not until we submit and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in our lives that we will have true joy. It is only when we rediscover Jesus that we can rediscover the joy of Christmas. He died on a cross to bring salvation to our lives. He died on a cross to bring us forgiveness. He suffered for our sins. He suffered for our sakes. He suffered and he died for you and for me. But he didn't stay dead. The other promise of Scripture was that he would be raised on the third day, just as he said, and he was raised on the third day, and he is alive and forevermore, and he reigns at the right hand of the Father in power and in glory, and he's coming back again. The Bible tells us that he is coming back again, and he will return. Just as he came the first time, as a little baby, he will come a second time as the reigning, conquering King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming again. We live in a time of, of the second advent, waiting for Jesus to return. He came once, he's coming again. And that is our hope, and that brings joy. And he offers the joy of salvation to every single one of us, that if we will believe in his name, if we will repent from our sins, confess our faith and be baptized, we will be saved, and we will have the hope and the joy of eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever. And that is what Christmas is all about, and that is how Jesus gives joy to us. So I have two challenges for you this morning. The first challenge is if you've never accepted Jesus' offer of salvation, you need to do that. You can't have joy without Jesus in your life. You can't. Because Jesus is the one who brings joy into our lives. So if you've never accepted his offer of salvation, today is the day. Now is the time you can come and be baptized and receive his gift of salvation today. My second challenge is for those of us who have been baptized, how are you feeling? Are you feeling joyful? We sing a song as little kids. If you're happy and you know it. If you're happy and you know it. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. If you're happy and you know it, then you're... If you're joyful and you know it, let your face show it. If you're joyful and you know it, let your life show it. 
Share your joy with someone this Christmas. And one of the best ways that you can share your joy with someone is to invite them to come to church. So my goal for you, my, my challenge for you today is to invite someone to church. That people at Christmas time are more willing to come to church than, any, than almost any other time of the year. That if you will just invite someone, say, hey, you know what, you should come check out my church. We're talking about Christmas. We're talking about how to have joy. Do you have joy in your life? We're talking about, we're talking about how, how to be less miserable. So come to my church and hear a great message about joy. Because that's what we're going to talk about this entire month. Because we're going to talk about Jesus. And Jesus is the one who in the midst of the circumstances of life, the trials of life, the troubles of life, He is the one who gives us an increase of joy.